Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are live, the Monday edition of the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your hosts, Kevin Parker, Scott Martin here talking about what was a very strange game in Happy Valley against Penn State yesterday. Uh, Originally a 3.30 kick, moved back to a noon kick. You had some terrible broadcasters that were announcing from the studio. You had a great second quarter and a pretty suspect rest of the game. You had a couple of weird calls. You, we we uh, the, there was the one where we accepted a penalty that would have been fourth and short. We accepted him to bring give him back another chance on third down. It was a weird, weird, weird college football game. Uh, Scott, we're sitting here on a Sunday. We've both rewatched the whole game here this morning, and uh, I don't know what what are your first impressions here. What's the first thing we want to jump to? Uh, I mean the highs were high and the lows were low in this one. Um, It was, I think MSU football and our fan base probably felt like we, our future was shining bright at halftime. I know I felt that way. Um, You know, it was optimistic. Peyton Thorne, obviously with three touchdowns in the second quarter and came crashing down squarely onto the frozen slippery earth in uh, Beaver stadium yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, at this point in the season I'm not you know heartbroken we were two and four we're two and five now darn um there's so much to break down in this game I mean I think this was really a illuminating game for this team I think we saw a lot of kind of the pros and cons of of what we're going to take into this offseason so I'm excited to get into that um and and obviously we got a good uh full game performance out of uh, Peyton Thorne breakdown. So like I said, highs were highs, lows were low. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess just to start with, you know, kind of the game flow um, first half. Well, second quarter was great. Um, Second quarter was the best football we played all year. It was the offense that I don't even think most MSU fans thought we were capable of. We hoped we'd see something along those lines, but to see the running game and the passing game complementing each other, I mean, we were getting Jordan Simmons and others were getting the rushing game going, open up play action. Passing game was pulling the, the 
linebackers back freeing up, you know, more in the run game. It was just perfect. It was really effective. And the defense was, was doing well on the other side of the ball to contain Penn state. I, I took a note with that because the Mel Tucker talks a lot about like complimentary football. And when you think about that, it's usually referring to like the offense and the defense, right? Defense able to get stops, give the offensive good field position offense, at least sustaining drives, allowing the defense to get a breather on the sideline. Um, you know, if, if you're punting it away, you, you get a couple first downs and you allow them to go the whole length of the field. Like you're, you're setting each other up. Well, this was a second quarter where on the offensive side of the ball alone, there, there was a lot of complimentary football. The running game was opening up holes. We were, we were gashing them for six, 10, 15 yard run plays with Jordan Simmons. And that allowed, you know, the offense when, when we were going with a little play action defense was sucking in to stop that run. It opened up the passing game and then the effectiveness of the passing game allowed them to, you know, you can't really stack the box. So we were just kept ripping off these chunk plays and it was just everything we did seemed to work for a quarter. And we haven't seen that all year. We haven't seen that in a few years, really if we're being honest, I mean, it was the best quarter of football that we've played all year. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the first quarter was a little, obviously more rough. It was three to nothing at the end of the first, it felt like, I mean, we came out, we had a, a really bad first drive. We started the game with the delay game, uh, Peyton Thorne's first career, not even into his first snap of his first career start where we got a penalty. Um, we actually converted, I think one first down in that drive, but uh shortly punted it away our defense kind of let Penn State roll down into the red zone thankfully we got a stop forced the field goal and then things kind of settled in we went back and forth a little more in the first quarter with a couple of punts um kind of felt like everyone was literally trying to get their footing on that atrocious playing surface um and then yeah the second quarter I, I'm gonna hold off on talking too much about Peyton Thorne because I think we want to do a little bit longer segment on his performance uh, once we get through kind of the, the bulk of how this game unfolded but yeah I mean the second quarter I, we, we were texting each other. It, it was just fun. It was fun to watch again. It was an enjoyable experience. It was, even though, you know, it could have been going better at certain instances during that second quarter, there were certainly mistakes on our side. It was just like, it felt good. It was like, what are we going to do next? I'm excited to see this play call instead of, you know, that dreadful, Oh God, are they going to hand it off to Connor Hayward on an inside zone again? Um, yeah, so, we were like, th there was, it, it was fun. Like that, that was the biggest takeaway from that second quarter was like, you saw the offense coming back out in the field and there was like a little smile on your face of like, okay, what are we going to see here this drive? Like there was that, um, I don't know what, what I would even call it. Like the, the double, the, the, we handed it off to the running back who pitched it back to the wide receiver who pitched it back to the quarterback um, it was like a reverse flea flicker, um, yeah. threw it up to Tyler. I think it was a Hunter Dotson. I don't remember, but like just a gimme, you know, 25 yards on that play. Like it, they were just having fun and moving the ball and, and it was just exciting. And, and it's something we just haven't seen in a long time. Even, even the Michigan game, it's like, oh yeah, we were, we were moving the ball, but those were like two play 60 yard drives. There was no like right. sustained drives you know even northwestern or michigan this this was by far the best and most enjoyable offense yeah and when you look at these drives i mean i mentioned it a little bit on the podcast coming into this game uh it was either i think it was last thursday's episode it may have been last monday's but last week in any event i said 
you know, one of the questions we had in the mailbag was, um, what's the difference between Thorn and Rocky? Why is it working? And I don't remember the specific question, but, you know, I made the point that Jay Johnson was, was getting flack as an offensive coordinator. And I said, listen, he's really, really limited in his options if he doesn't have confidence in his quarterback's ability to throw the ball. And when you started to see that offense as gears turning and the wheels were, you know, turning, um, he went into his bag, if you will. He got that, like you said, that double reverse throw to Dotson. Um, they, they actually, the Trayvon Morgan touchdown was a double play action with a lot of motion. And, you know, Thorne's back was to the field for a significant amount of time early in that, in that play. And he turned around and whipped the ball right down there. So um, that's, that's the point I was making. And you started to see it kind of mature, you know, as Thorne built his confidence in that second quarter. And, um, and speaking of which Trayvon Morgan, I had, oh. I, I don't think there was anybody watching that game in that stadium, wherever you were, who knew he was on the field. And then I just saw 18 bring the ball down, you know, in the end zone. I'm like, who, the, who it's Morgan, you know, it was, I mean, it even, was so, even the stack guys didn't understand it because we, we were actually just going to record. We were just kind of last check of the box score. Like, let me get a couple numbers down here. And again, we both just rewatched the game and I, on every box score, maybe by the time you're listening to this, they will have it adjusted, but every box score, they have Trayvon Morgan for just one catch and, and that touchdown. And he had that, that play later on in the game near the sideline where he got pushed out of bounds. It was a, it was a cheeky little play by Morgan because he, there is the rule where as long as you're forced out and as long as there's like a, you know, clear intention to get back in bounds, like you're allowed to make a play on the ball. He, he took his time a little bit getting back <laughs> in bounds. Uh, but, you know, effectively it, it was another catch. So the box score as we stand today has him for one catch, 26 yards and a touchdown. Really it was two catches for 46 and a touchdown. Um, but yeah, that I was so happy when, when he was the one coming down with that, uh, because that was a guy that we talked about a ton in the off season, because we saw this six foot seven wide receiver and your, your brain kicks into like Madden gear of like, oh my gosh, you know, I've played enough video games to know what I could do with this guy, you know, and, and it never really came to fruition. I, I know that there were some injuries early on in the year, but finally seeing him get on the field. We threw an end zone fade to him later in the game that didn't work, but it seems like they are starting to incorporate him in the offense. And there was a couple comments we were going back and forth, like, man, he could put on some weight and move to tight end and just be a huge mismatch there. Um, I, I was leaning towards like, no, just keep him outside because most of these Big Ten corners are like, what, 5'10", a buck 90. Yeah. Like there's no way they can match up. So you're going to have to double team him in the red zone. And I, I think this if he continues to improve, this could open the door for like a really exciting prospect in an already really exciting receiving core. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just in general, you know, the, the offense in that second quarter, it was kind of, I think I came out of this game with a lot more optimism than I expected to after a horrible second half blown lead lost by 15 kind that's, of the quote unquote end the year, but I felt that's good. Funny, right. Cause I, I feel the same way. And, and I think it just comes down to the fact that we finally saw something that going into this offseason, we can say, hey, if we can do more of that, you know, if we can build on what worked there, 
and kind of make that the foundation of how we want our offense to look and we can replicate that next year, that could be really effective. I mean, we've got weapons. We've got Peyton Thorne, if, if he, and like I said, we'll talk about him a little bit more, but it looks like he has some serious potential as a redshirt freshman. You've got uh, Simmons back there who looked good yesterday. Obviously, Audric Estime coming in. Hopefully, fingers crossed, he sticks with us. Uh, would be another weapon back there at running back. You've got that great receiving core. We've really got five that you can trust between Mosley Reed, Naylor, um, Ricky White, and, and Trayvon Morgan, all very versatile weapons. Uh, the tight ends kind of up and down, but, you know, we could probably work around that. And if we can th- get the offensive line with a lot of youth and a lot of good talent coming up, if you can get that to come around, you've got an offense that could be really, really exciting next year. And I think now that we're starting to identify kind of who the guys might be next year and seeing it work like that, at least for a few drives, it's really an exciting feeling, uh, you know, an optimistic feeling that we've been kind of lacking throughout this season. Yeah. And it's, it is like, of course, we'll get to the bad in a second here, but I, that was kind of where I wanted to start and we didn't even really talk about it, but like I did want to start with the optimistic side because I think there there is more good than bad in this game. Uh, even though you're you're looking at a game where we were up 21-10 at halftime, end up losing by 15 points. Like, yeah, that's not good, uh, and I get it. There was a lot that went wrong, but yeah, I my outlook on this game is, you know, again we, we talked about it a hundred times. The, the wins and losses this year, I'm not really too concerned about. I just want things that I can take away going into the off season of okay, there's a future ball player there and a young guy at this position or, you know, hey, this scheme is seeming to work for this guy. Like, I just want to see some of that. And there was plenty of it. Um, I mean, the the first half, we were averaging eight yards per play on first down. You know, we talked about after the Ohio State game, we were constantly getting ourselves behind the sticks bad situations where you're you're counting on a second and 10 a second and 12 and you're constantly putting your quarterback and your your offense in bad positions you're averaging eight yards per play on first down that just makes your offense so much easier it opens up the playbook a a ton and that's one of the things that I want to mention too with Jay Johnson is is there's a lot of criticism and and I think he deserves a lot of criticism there there's some good and there's some bad but there's only so much you can do when your running game is going for two and a half yards a carry when you're constantly in second and 10 second, and 11 second, and nine, like you're not, your playbook isn't available. Your full playbook isn't available, but when you get down to second and four and then third and one, like you have so many more options as a play caller. And we started to see a bit of that. We saw some QB like naked bootlegs with, with uh, you know, levels kind of, there was a lot of just passing concepts that I liked that we did a lot more of. Um, There was a lot more play action that was a bit creative. One thing I noticed, I don't know if, if you caught onto this, something he does almost every single play is he has the tight end lined up out wide and then pre-snap, he brings them in motion into the backfield or, you know, into that kind of wing T spot. Mm-hmm. And I, the purpose of it is basically just to get a glimpse of what the coverage might be, right? If somebody follows him into the line of scrimmage, well, they're clearly running man-to-man defense. Um, so I, I do like that. It's just a simple way that, you know, it, it might seem stupid. It might seem pointless, but it, it does give you a glimpse of at least like, okay, is this man or zone? 
Is somebody following him? What are they doing here? So there, there is a lot that I like. Um, and again, there's, there's bad, bad Jay Johnson and good Jay Johnson. Uh, bad Jay Johnson showed up. There, there was one drive that drove me nuts. We were up 21-18, first and goal late in the third quarter. We end up running the ball with Connor Hayward, who that's a whole nother story I'll get to in a second. Then we run the ball with Peyton Thorne. Neither of them worked. And then you're at third and goal from the six. Uh, we ran like a quick slant route, and it was a one-read play. It was yeah. basically like, if this slant isn't there, this play isn't going to work. And when you're at third and goal from the six yard line and you have an athletic quarterback, why aren't we getting him outside the pocket? Give him three or four options because you know, he can extend the play that there was a couple bad Jay Johnson moments, but I, I all in all, I do think that there's a lot to like in, in that, you know, when you do have positive situations in terms of down and distance, when you do have a quarterback who can actually start making some plays, it makes the offense look a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and like I said, we'll get to Thorne. Um, but before we get to that, uh, you did start to kind of turn the page into what went wrong in this game. Uh, first half, like I said, first quarter is kind of back and forth a wash. Second quarter obviously was phenomenal. Best quarter we had this season, best quarter we've had under Tucker, if you will. Um, halftime, um, I, I obviously can't speak to what happened. It was Penn State senior day. So I'm sure in their locker room, there was a lot of, you know, let's go guys. This is your seniors. This is your guys last game in Beaver stadium. Let's pick it up for them. You know, a lot of that talk in ours. I mean, we got a lot of youngsters, maybe they couldn't handle the pressure of winning, you know, being up big, but I think it was more of a, just a game flow thing. Um, Penn State came out on a scripted drive, start the second half, drove down, scored a touchdown, scored the two-point conversion. So now you're at 21-18. It kind of sets the stage for the rest of the game, right? It's not a tie game, but it's it's a less than a one-possession game. Um, you're kind of in the thick of it at that point. So now it just becomes who's going to win this, you know, who wants it? And we went back and forth for a few drives in the middle of the third um, with a couple punts, no, nothing too exciting. And then the drive that you brought up, I wanted to highlight that drive. Um, so – we were up 21-18, like you said, late in the third quarter. We had the ball. We drove it down to first and four. Uh, it was a great drive, kind of started to pick up steam again, looking, starting to look like that second quarter again um, after a few ugly drives to start the half. And we run this goal line sequence, and a few things went wrong. You mentioned Jay Johnson. So Jordan Simmons had like three or four good runs. I mean, they weren't huge gashes, but, you know, five plus yard runs early in that drive that opened up the passing game, got us down there. Somebody calls a timeout. They go to commercial, come back from commercial to set the stage for this first and four situation on the first at the four. Connor Hayward's on the field. Why? It's not, we're not spelling Simmons. There was a timeout. He's not tired. He can come back in the mm -hmm. game if it's an energy thing. He's, I get, he's a little bit smaller, but he consistently is, he's behind the same offensive line. He's getting the same holes, the same opportunities, and he's making way more of them. He runs behind his pads. He stays low. He's got great balance through contact. Connor Hayward gets up there. He gets the ball. As soon as somebody starts to approach him, he stands up straight and starts shuffling his feet, stops his momentum, and tries to juke his 240-pound barrel body, which he just <laughs> can't do, and he does it consistently. Yeah, that, I mean – on the season, you got Jordan Simmons for about a full yard more per carry. On the game, he was over two yards per carry or over three yards per carry more than Hayward. And and that's clear. Like, I, I keep track of 
when I rewatch these games, I keep track of like, who's making a play, right? Not just, okay. He had a, a nice scripted, like slant route that, you know, there was really nothing there, but like you made somebody miss, you broke a tackle. You, you really like went up for a contest, contested catch. There were six plays I saw from Jordan Sli- Simmons where he, he slipped a tackle. He, he made a good read and cut back. He, he just was constantly out there making something out of nothing. Connor Hayward had nothing. Five carries, 10 yards. Didn't make anybody yeah. miss. Went down on first contact every time. I don't, I don't know what he was doing out on the field. And, and in general, like, yeah, is Connor Hayward serviceable in, in a vacuum? Sure. But today or yesterday, he wasn't. I don't know right. what the hell that was going on there. Yeah. So, so back to this kind of critical drive, in my opinion. So this goal line sequence, we run, we trot Hayward out. I'm fine with running the ball on first down at the four. Um, I don't think Hayward's the right guy. This is where you see something else that I wanted to bring up the field surface Um, in Connor Hayward's defense, that first down the blocking, you know, I kind of paused it right as he got the ball to see what he was looking at and he gets the ball the blocking didn't really open up any holes. They had stacked the box. He tries to make a cut back to the backside of the play and his feet just blow out from under him. Um, just totally, you know, you can see the grass fail and he just slides, you know, down onto his hip for a one yard loss. So in that, in his defense, that play probably wasn't on him, but given the rest of the body of work, I'm still not particularly happy that he was in the game. Second play, second down from the five. Peyton Thorne runs, you know, just a QB kind of rollout rush to the uh to the left side and nick samack is is rolling out as a lead blocker and nick samack turns to cut out field and make his block and his feet slide out he tries to stand back up and three more times his feet just shoot out from under him and peyton thorn you know there's like two guys come down over samack and 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 thorn gets tackled for another one yard loss so again the playing surface kind of made its impact there and like you said the third down play call was um I mean, if it works, it looks good. It was close. It could have been a little bit better throw, but I, if, if he had more reads, I doubt he's throwing that ball. Um, so just a really frustrating drive, uh, frustrating that we only got three points. You know, you keep it as a one score game, you go up by six points with the ensuing field goal. And it really felt like an opportunity for us to grab momentum back and a missed opportunity. And it, and Penn state kind of could smell the blood in the water at that point, I think. And then after that, you've got a Penn State touchdown, Michigan State three and out. Penn State touchdown, Michigan State three and out. That led to the punt return touchdown. At that point, instead of being up 11, um, or up, I suppose it would have been 10 at that point, if you punch that touchdown in, you're only up six. Penn State takes one point lead. Penn State takes an eight point lead. Before you can blink an eye, Penn State's up 15, and you never even had an opportunity to grab momentum again. So that really was kind of the last opportunity Michigan State had to keep this game within reach obviously they didn't know what was about to happen but um yeah i mean that drive was just so critical for us it didn't it didn't fall our way um and 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 i think the three things you know the field surface whatever both teams are on it's frustrating but it is what it is the play calling jay johnson i mean it's just questionable and then the personnel why why was connor hayward in he has zero rushing touchdowns this year we've consistently tried to lean on him as a short yardage back not only on the goal line but on fourth and one, third and two, all these short yardage situations. And consistently he cannot get past the line of scrimmage. So I get you want to use your big bruiser back 240, whatever he is. And he's bigger than Simmons. Maybe they're trying to protect Simmons because he's young and they want his body to hold up over the long term. But at the end of the day, if you want to win games, you got to put your best players on the field. 
And in that instance, they just didn't do it. Yeah. And you know, you brought it up before we started recording here. Like, yeah, it was a 15 point game, but you punch in that for a touchdown. Uh, you, you get a, the, the late drive where we actually went down to, I think we finished at like the five yard line, the 10 yard line. Um, which the game situation, we were down by two touchdowns and a two point conversion. So like, we were obviously not going to kick a field goal there, but like, there were some more points that were right within our grasp. You don't give up that punt return touchdown. Like, yeah, this is a 15 point game, but you know, just a couple plays could have flipped this thing on its head. And, and, you know, whether that just means it's a closer loss or an actual win, I don't know, but yeah, we, I mean, we were right there. We, we, we were just a couple plays away and, you know, using that punt return touchdown to segue into this man, Ross Ells, the special teams coordinator. I don't know how that dude still has a job. Like I, I know it's, it's the COVID year. It's the first year No, 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 no. that you're, I, I forget who brought it up. It might've been you. We were talking about this uh, while the game was going on and it's like, the special teams, it's, it's not hard. Like I, I was a special teams guy in, in uh, when I was playing, it's, it's not that hard. You have one responsibility. Most of these guys, they're not starters for a good reason. Like it's just, Hey, this is your job. You are the gunner on the punt team, or you are this guy on the kickoff team. Like you go down in this lane. And if somebody comes into your area, you make the play. And it's not that freaking hard. You're the punter. You punt. You, you put the ball as far as you can, like with some decent hang time. It's not that hard. And I just don't understand how our special teams is so consistently bad this year. Like we had a couple plays that I wrote down. We were punting from, it was about the 50. So it was actually like leaving his foot at about our own 40 yard line. That should be prime spot to pin him deep, pin him inside the 20, at least inside the 10, ideally. And we just put it into like the third row of the stands. Like it, it wasn't yeah, I even actually, close. I, uh, I noticed that one because we had talked about it during the game. So during the rewatch, I made a point to find that punt. The camera guy from, couldn't even find it. Yeah, <laughs> he was at the, he was at the 35 hour 35 yard line. So not only did he have plenty of real estate to bring that ball down at least around the goal line. I mean, yeah, if it bounces a yard deep, fine. You missed it a little bit, but he did, he missed the field, which the reason that frustrates me so much is because we have such a problem kicking long punts when we have the full right. field. And now he's kicking like an 80 yard punt off, his, you know, <laughs> on the fly. When in a situation where you should be pinning them deep. Like, right. Yeah. Right. It's just, and I agree. I mean, I, and Rossell's not only is he the special teams coach and I don't need to go into this too much, but he's also the linebackers coach. And aside from Antoine Simmons and the talent that he oh brought from the D'Antonio I, era. I can't get into that right now. Cause I'll start fuming. <laughs> our linebackers are far and away the worst defensive unit on this field outside of Antoine Simmons. And I mean, I know there's really only one other position on most plays in that group, but neither Chase Klein nor Noah Harvey really seems to know what the hell they're doing on the field most of the time. And it's just, what is, what is this guy? What is Rossell's adding to this team? Because yeah, maybe he's not actively detracting from it, but he's obviously not adding to it either because it can't get much worse in those two positions. No, it's, it's so frustrating. Cause you, you look around and it's like, okay, you know, I get, I've, I've brought this up before. Like we've just had good special teams for a long time. And so on one side of me, I'm like, is this just, is this just what every college team deals with? Like bad special teams, like a bad punter. Uh, a lot of teams deal with a bad kicker. 
Like, is that just, is this what everybody watches every week? And we've just been blessed with good special teams. So it looks so like so much worse for us, but it can't be like, it can't be this bad. Like there, there was, like you said, like we, when we need to punt it deep, we're not able to, there was a punt where we were putting it like inside of our own 50. We're giving them plus field position on a fair catch. Like, I don't care if you're punting from inside the own end zone. You should be able to at least get it past the 50-yard line. Um, there was the punt return touchdown, obviously. They had a kick return that went back to the 40. We see, like, one or two of those every week. They had our, our probably our best punt of the game. It was, again, from about, like, midfield. And it, this was, like, one of the best punts of the season. It was a fair catch at, like, the 16 or something. And, and like, yeah, the, the stat is punts inside the 20, but when you're punting from that prime of a situation, like inside the 10 is the target inside the 20 is, you know, you're getting it to the 16. That's four yards away from a touchback. Like that, that's not making an impact. So I like, I just don't understand if it weren't for Matt Coughlin, the kicker, the special teams would be such an even bigger disaster. Thank God we have a consistent kicker who, who we can count on because Jesus, I, I don't even know. Again, like you said, like what, what is he adding to this team? It, it, the special teams is a liability every week. The linebackers besides Antoine Simmons, who is a freaking stud. Um, I posted a couple twi- uh, clips on Twitter um, where he's just, regardless of everything going on around him, regardless of the front four having probably their worst game of the season and just getting washed out on a lot of these run plays they, they just weren't able to get the push that they normally were. Antoine Simmons is still flying around, shedding blocks, making plays. And I just like, I feel bad for him, man. Cause it, it's <laughs> he, you watch him on that defense. And I laugh to myself when I'm rewatching the games, cause you'll see somebody just fly in. You, you can't catch the number. He's just flying into the backfield and making a play on the back. You know, he's diving at the knees. So you can't really tell you're waiting for the pile to clear. You're like, Oh, who made that play? And then you see, of course, number 34 popping up. And I just laughed to myself. I'm like, why did I even think that there was a possibility that it might've been somebody else? Like, of course it was him. (laughs) It's funny. You said you feel bad for him. If there's a, if there's a plus side, I feel like it's like the, the high school effect where, you know, kids will hang out with people uglier than them to make themselves look better. <laughs> uh, he's, you know, he, he does truly jump out of our defense. He looks, you know, you, you just watch the games and you can't help but sit, be impressed every single game. Even if you're not watching for him, it's just like that dude is the best player on the, on our side of the field, every single game by far. Yeah. And, um, and like tackles, it's not a great stat. And there's, there's a lot more nuance than just like how many tackles do you have? But yeah. Antoine Simmons barely played in that Iowa game. I think he ended up with like two tackles or something and he's leading the team in tackles by 20. Like it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like he's played basically a full less game than everyone on the roster. And that's only six games. Like if you're talking about the difference between like 11 and 12 games, that's probably a really, you know, only, you know, this amount in the difference between six games and seven games, he's still leading the team by 20. Like that's, it's ridiculous. Leading the team in tackles for loss by four. The dude's just all over the field. It's an absolute freak and we're blessed to have him. And I don't, yeah, I feel bad. (laughs) So 
while we're on the, the topic of defense, I think it's really the only unit we haven't talked about so far. And I think that's kind of where the conversation in the second half revolves. Um, when you look at, you know, what lost us this game, you've got an even turnover ratio one-to-one that actually all happened on that fluky play in the first quarter, you know, that interception by Thorne and, and we got an absolute gift. Uh, Jalen Naylor making one of the best defensive plays yeah. we saw yesterday. First down, um, baby. That's how you draw it up. Uh, penalties were about the same. We had a couple more than them for about 12 more yards, but all in all 45 penalty yards for them, 57 for us, not a major story in the game. Um, total yards, we were only 16 total yards behind them. So when you look at the box score, just offensive stats, evil 21 to 21 equal first downs. It's, I mean, it's an even game. Neither of us really had a lot on the ground, save a couple, you know, big, well, really one big rush from uh, from Clifford on, on Penn State's side. So, you know, both quarterbacks were relatively effective through the air. Um, but when you look at this, I mean, it's, it's frustrating because the offense, like we said, finally kind of found a gear, found a, some support for this defense that for most of the season looked like the better side of the ball. And this defense yesterday just fell apart in the second half. I mean, the first half they gave up 10 points. They got off the field consistently, no like spectacular plays, but they were doing what they needed to. In the second half, the defensive line wasn't like you said, getting the push. They were stopping the run for the most part. Um, especially on first, second down, obviously Will Levis had a few short yardage, frustrating plays where Noah Harvey just got bounced backwards over and over. I don't understand. Like I, for everybody that watches the NFL, it's the Taysom Hill when Drew Brees was healthy. Taysom Hill would come in and everybody in the stadium besides the defensive coordinator, for some reason expected that you, you knew that it was just going to be a QB power right up the middle. Levis came in, everybody in the stadium knew it was a QB power coming right up the middle, but for some reason we were just, we couldn't stop it. And yeah, Harvey was a huge piece of that. He finally made one play like with like two minutes left and the announcers were going crazy. It was, it was a great hit squared him up, you know, but yeah, that that was the first positive play that he made the entire game with two minutes left. (laughs) Yeah. And all in all, I mean, like I said, we, we could have lived with the, rush defense we had yesterday like I said Clifford had the one rush where Trey Person the whole offense and defense collapsed to the line of scrimmage on this run I think it was like a fourth and one uh third and one fourth and one it was short yardage situation another it was a QB draw for Clifford um Simmons and Person were really the only guys that kind of had the ability to make a play Simmons got picked up on a solid second level block from an offensive lineman that came free and Trey person came down and there was a clear hole and the the Simmons block was kind of sitting right behind that hole. And person had the option to go underneath the block and come in from the side to make the tackle or go over the top and really close off the top of that hole. He chose to go underneath slams, you know, just an arm tackle in the Clifford's waist and Clifford flies by 31 more yards to the end zone. Um, And this was kind of a theme yesterday with person and, and the whole defense, just bad angles and poor tackling. It's something we really didn't see early. I remember earlier episodes, we were talking about how this defense was impressing us because they were taking good angles. They were rallying to the ball. Even if they were giving up, you know, completions, they were rallying to the ball and making the tackle in space. And it was just the exact opposite story yesterday. Bad angles when they did, you know, get an angle good enough to give them a chance at a tackle. They were missing consistently. 
Um, obviously the field is slippery too, whatever, but it was just, when you look at, like I said, what lost us this game, the defense, especially in pass coverage, just looked lost. There were broken coverages all the time. Guys were given outrageous amounts of cushion. And I know we're playing a more cushion system than we used to, but still, I mean, like you said, before we started recording, even if you're giving them the cushion, you have to come up and make the tackle where they catch the ball. I mean, Shakur Brown was playing consistently six, seven yards off his receiver, you know, cause he's got that over the top thirds coverage and he has to stay over him. But when they would make that tackle, you know, a five yard hitch, get, they'd throw the ball outside. Our guys would come up and just over and over missing tackles. And, you know, the defense, it just fell apart. I mean, I don't know if it was the pressure, the playing surface, the whatever, it was colder than usual. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but they just, it wasn't there yesterday. And it's, like I said, it's, it's more frustrating than ever because our offense finally provided enough of a spark to give us a chance in this one. Yeah. It was uh, such a so, big difference from like the Michigan game where we were making the first tackle every time there was no broken tackles. There was no misplays. And we came in yesterday and yeah, there, there were missed tackles all over the place. I, I wrote down a few of them that really stood out like where it was just clear as day, you had the guy squared up and you just missed or whiffed or, you know, he just slid right off you. Trey Person with, I think, three. Uh, Noah Harvey with four. You had uh, Jack Camper had one bad missed tackle. Xavier Henderson had two. Uh, Shakur Brown had one. Where it was, it was just clear as day, like one-on-one and you missed. And, and it was just... It was hard to watch at times because like you said, like I, I get it, your responsibility as the corner in a lot of those plays is you have to respect the deep ball. So you're going to give up a few of those like, you know, little four or five yard plays and that's okay. Like I, I talked about it way, way a uh, long time ago, back in like June or whatever, um, when we hired Scotty Hazelton and I had my one of my first podcast episodes was breaking down his defense and I was talking about the cover too. And that was one of the things I said, like, it's going to be a little bit of bend, but don't break. You're going to give up some of those just easy catches to the flats. But as long as your cornerbacks can come up and make that tackle and you're just giving up four yards, five yards, four yards, that's okay. Cause you're going to have to make them make that play every single time. You're going to have to, to, you know, rely on a college quarterback to, to keep making those throws on time. And, and, so that's okay to give those up as long as you're making the tackles. It, it just wasn't happening. Everybody was missing them. There was a bad, you were talking about like miscommunications. Like there was the long touchdown throw that they oh, had. God. It was, it was bad. And I, I rewatched that like six times because I was trying to figure it out if it was man to man or zone coverage. And I don't know if our guys knew because <laughs> if it was man to man, there was, it was Angelo gross. And I think Kalon Gervin. And basically the, there was the two receivers lined up on that side. The outside receiver ran like a fake bubble screen and the inside guy just ran a wheel down the sideline. And if it was man-to-man coverage, then that would have been Gross's responsibility. And he just came up and bit on the screen and, and nobody stayed with the outside guy. If it was our cover three, then that's the responsibility of the outside guy to not bite on your guy doing this little tunnel screen and instead just keep your responsibility, keep yourself deep on the sideline. I don't know whose responsibility it was, but I would just lean towards right now that, that both of them messed up 
And uh, yeah, we got torched yeah. for it, like 60 yard touchdown. Yeah. I mean, credit where credit's due. I don't give James Franklin and his staff a whole lot of credit because I don't think they're uh, very good in-game coaches, but it was a great play design. Um, they've been running bubble screens to Jahan Dotson, who was the outside receiver in that play consistently throughout the season. So I'm sure it's something that our players saw in film quite a bit coming into this game and probably repped in practice a lot. Um, but the, at the end of the day, Gross and Gervin were covering the same part of the field. I mean, they were probably three yards apart from each other, both just standing, you know, a few yards over the top of Dotson waiting for that throw to come through in Washington, their kind of slot receiver just walked through them and, and there was nobody out there. And then, you know, to add insult to injury, we were talking a little bit about person's poor performance. He took this angle yeah. where basically he, the, the he Noah like Harvey school of pursuit angles. <laughs> <laughs> he ran from, so his, his coverage was, you know, the center third, and Washington catches the ball at the sideline or a few yards from the sideline and Gervin or not Gervin, excuse me, person runs like all the way outside between the receiver and the sideline and leaves the entire center of the field wide open. I mean, if, if that's your play, your angle is to, you know, stay kind of to the inside, get him to commit to running up the sideline and then, you know, pop him out of bounds. Once he comes up to you, he just gave him the entire field. And, and we know person's not the fastest safety in the big 10 or, you know, in a lot of places. And by the, once he had that angle on the inside of the field, it was over. So just a general breakdown, an example of what was happening all day. Obviously that was one of the more damaging plays we saw yesterday. Um, and it's just frustrating. You know, it's it, it, our defensive unit all year. It showed flashes. It showed games where it looked phenomenal and it showed games where the same players, the same plays, the same coverages just did not work for whatever reason. Um, you know, and it's sometimes that's just a sign of a young team. And obviously it's a sign of trying to get a hold of a new system. You're, you know, you're trying, I know we've been running this system all year. It's the seventh game of the year, but you're still running it against new teams every week. And you never really know how that scheme's going to look against this new offensive scheme you're facing each week until you're in the game. So Something about Penn State's scheme yesterday, especially through the air, just worked against that cover three. Um, I'm sure, you know, coming into next year's game against Penn State, there will be a whole lot of focus on, on cleaning up what we saw today. Um, but, yeah, all in all, I mean, I thought Harvey had a bad game. I thought Trey Person had a bad game. One more guy that we didn't touch on, uh, Carrick on the offensive line, playing right oh. guard the majority of the day. Rough. Probably the worst, the worst, most visibly bad individual performance uh, on that field today. One of the worst ones this season. Yet. That's funny too, start. because when you, when anybody goes in and watches offensive line play, especially from the broadcast angle that we get when you're not getting the, the all 22 angle where you're behind the quarterback it's pretty tough if you're not like a former offensive lineman or, or a high school football coach or something who really knows what you're looking for. It's sometimes pretty tough to see like, okay, which guys are messing up because you, you just kind of usually take the offensive line as a unit and like, man, we gave up right. a bunch of sacks or man, we can't open up holes. And somehow he played bad enough where it was like clear as day on the broadcast angle. Like, I, I literally wrote down in my notes three different times where I was like, 56 just got mauled. 56, yeah. what the hell? 56, what are you doing? And it was like just over and over again. There was, uh, there was one play where Penn State just ran a simple stunt, right? Defensive tackle goes to the outside. Defensive end curls on the inside. 
Um, it, defenses do this all the time, probably at least once a drive. Like it's, it's a routine play. And he looked like it was just like a, a David Copperfield magic trick. <laughs> and he was just standing there, like turning his head all around, like, what did it, what just happened? It gave up a sack and it was like, dear God, man. He, yeah, yeah. Like it, you said, he ended up getting pulled, but that was well. Rough. So he had, he had a false start really early in the game. He had that one, which I think was in the second half. He gave up a sack. Uh, still early in the game, he it was just a simple bull rush by their three-technique defensive tackle. This dude just set him in Peyton Thorne's lap. I mean, Oh, he got Thorne, pushed back like six yards. Thorne had – it was like a five-step drop for Thorne. He had hardly even finished his drop back and started to set his feet to look around <laughs> in his reads, and this dude was grabbing onto him, and it was just – I think the commentator, I, I didn't like the commentators yesterday, but this one cracked me up. He was like, here's a gift for you. Here's your guard and here's a yeah. sack. Cause that's literally, he just took Carrick, set him in, in Thorne's lap and took him down. And, you know, obviously late in the game, you could see the frustration building with him. And I, I feel for the kid, it's never easy to be the guy who's, you know, letting your team down. And we've all, anybody who's played sports has had a game like that. Yeah. Um, so he's a good kid, you know, he, for the most of the season, he, he played pretty well, but you know, yesterday, just an awful game. He ended up getting that pr- frustration, personal foul near the end and, and got pulled after that. So frustrating. Um, I, it wasn't a theme this year. Just like I said, just a bad game, bad day for him. I don't know if he, you know, missed his Wheaties in the morning or what, but, um, yeah. So like I said, overall though, you know, there was a lot of negatives to focus on, but I, I'm choosing to focus on the optimism we saw some serious flashes from the offense and the defense throughout this year has shown other instances to be optimistic. It's just a new young team and a young scheme. And, uh, and, and we're, we're going to have hopefully a more routine off season to, to really start to build the foundation around this. Um, yeah, but I do I, go ahead. There's a couple guys I want to make sure, cause we're, we're starting to run up against it here. I, I want to make sure before I forget to get a couple of these guys and shout them out on the defensive side, there's uh, two other guys that, they, again, it's not consistent and they did give up a few plays, but Deshaun Mallory, again, there were four times that I really noticed him collapsing a pocket or, or making a play in the run game, blowing up his guy and forcing the running back to, to go elsewhere. Drew Beasley had a solid game. There was a handful of plays where I saw him really uh, making an impact out there. Uh, on the offensive side, uh, Jalen Naylor, he made, obviously there was that long touchdown catch where he just outran everybody. Uh, Thorne put it on a rope and then uh, he had a diving catch. He had a nice catch on the sideline. There was a bunch mm-hmm. of plays by Jalen Naylor. He's actually seventh in the big 10 in receiving yards, thirds in yards per reception. So he's put together a, a really nice season. I think he's one of those building block kind of guys. Um, Jaden Reed had a nice game, uh, four really nice plays that I noticed where, you know, he slips a tackle after the catch where he, he just goes up and makes a contested catch him and Thorne seem to have that chemistry together. You know, the broadcasters brought it up 15 times, but uh, of course <laughs> they played together in high school. And so that could be a really interesting thing going into this off season. Sky, you talked about that. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to make sure I got to those guys. Um, as far as the negatives, like, uh, Angelo gross. This was probably his worst game. I just didn't really see him making any impact out there. Jacob Panishuk. I, I honestly, when I was rewatching it, I was like, did he even play? Like, was he hurt? It, he just was absent this whole game. There was nothing doing there. Uh, 
Chase Klein, I don't think even touched the field. I didn't see him out there. He was out there a couple times, but didn't really. I think he had one tackle, didn't really make a splash. Same with Fletcher, a guy that, you know, he's been trending upwards, just couldn't really make an impact. He did. There was the one, uh, they had a touchdown that was called back due to a hold, and that was because Fletcher just came off the line with a vengeance and and uh, forced a holding call. He would have blown that play up in the backfield. He got headlocked. He got taken out. Yeah, down that, that was the only way to bring him down there because, yeah, he was. that was a great play by him. But other than that, he was pretty absent. So I just wanted to make a note there because there was a few guys I wrote down. I wanted to make sure I at least touched, down, touched on a little bit here. Uh, but before we wrap up, we got like 10 more minutes before we got to get out of here. Um, we've, we've mentioned it in passing, but I want to make sure we give a little time here to, to Peyton Thorne. It was his first start. Um, we've seen him in, in some extended playing time here in a couple different games, but of course you get a totally different perspective on a quarterback when he's preparing as the starter, when he goes in, gets the entire game, every snap and all in all, I, I thought it was really, really solid. Like there was a lot of good things that we saw. It's, it's, Similar to what we've talked about before. It, it's just the offense looks like everything's on time. Everything's in rhythm. There's like, when Rocky's in there, it's just total chaos. You, you never know if you're going to get a 70-yard touchdown or, or a sack or an interception. Like, Thorne, you just see, like, progressive movement down the field. And, and was it perfect? No. The interception was a terrible decision and a bad throw. It, it was actually, like, Rocky Lombardi-esque. He rolled out of the pocket across his body, threw it into traffic. That was a terrible play, but he settled in after that. There was another play that should have been picked later in the game. It was a terrible throw, sailed it over the wide receiver. Defensive back just blatant, flat out dropped it. Um, But, you know, even if we count that against him, like if we say that, yeah, that should have been a pick. This is still a game with 325 yards and three touchdowns. Like he, he played a really solid game. There was a, a fourth and eight where he moved the chains with his legs. It ended up getting called for a hold that was on like the backside of the play that didn't impact it at all. So that was kind of frustrating. But, you know, we saw him on a, a key down fourth and eight late in the game, stepped up in the pocket, made a play with his legs. So it was just all in all, like the, the first game, I, I gave him like a C plus that he came in. I would say today was just like a solid B. Um, it, yeah. it was it was far from perfect. There was some bad plays that he made. Um, he, he, it wasn't the same uh, productive as he wasn't as productive as his legs as he normally was. Um, now Penn State was kind of scheming that a little bit. I think they were trying to keep him in the pocket, but you know he, he went out there. He made a couple really nice throws that were really impressive. He kept the offense moving. There was there was only a couple like three and out type drives. And all in all, yeah, solid B for Peyton Thornton. Good game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was an interesting game for him. I got a couple more notes in here. Um, you know, he he so far this year has had two streaks, one against Ohio State and one against Penn State, where 11 straight completions. Um, the one against Ohio State, 11, 11, 11 for 11 for 122 yards. No touchdowns, no picks in that streak. Um, yesterday he was 11 for 11 again, 198 yards. So far more effective, um, as far as yardage goes and three touchdowns. So all in all, obviously 22 completions on 22 attempts for 320 yards, three touchdowns and no picks in those two streaks. Outside of that, he is 16 for 42, which is like around 40%. I didn't do the calculation, but bad. 
152 yards completion percentage (laughs) unnecessary shot i'm sorry 152 yards which is under four yards per attempt no touchdowns and two interceptions um i didn't include any stats from prior to the ohio state game so that's just the last two weeks because i think those that's really the only consistent enough playing time to uh to make any kind of judgment um and I, I, I don't know, you could take that a few different directions. You could say he's inconsistent. He's streaky. I think it's more just a sign of a young quarterback. He's a redshirt freshman. You know, like we said, he really hasn't had a lot of consistent playing time in this system. Um, obviously he gets his practice the same as anybody else, but you know, game speed's different. He's a young guy. Um, and like you said, he made a couple of mistakes. He had that terrible interception. And again, another one that should have been intercepted, but all in all, most of the time, 95% of the plays, he's making the right decision, even though he got sacked four times, which is maybe a little bit more than Rocky was, was typically getting sacked. There were moments where he was in the pocket. First guy misses the sack. He gets one more look, one more opportunity to reach back and go for it. But if, you know, he, those, those are the situations Rocky being the same ones where Rocky would just fling it into the flat (laughs) absentmindedly and throw a pick six or you know, he'd just kind of stand there loosely with the ball. It'd be a strip sack and would lose a fumble. Thorn, he'd take one more look. If it wasn't there, he'd just put two hands on the ball and let the guys bring him down. And I mean, that's just what move you want to the next play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's obviously frustrating to give up a sack, but if, if that's the decision your quarterback's making, fine. I mean, you can talk to your offensive line about that and you can decide how you want to scheme around getting him a little bit more time, but you really can't be upset with that decision because if he reaches back in those tight pockets with guys encroaching on him, bad things happen. You get strip sacks. Like I said, your arm gets hit and you throw a duck into the middle of the defense, whatever it is. That's where games really spiral out of the control. If you take a sack, even if it's third down, you punt the ball, you live to see another down. Um, So all in all, I think he showed some maturity. There's definitely some things to clean up. And he, he's got to bring up that consistency. Obviously, any quarterback can get streaky, but you got to bring up your baseline, if you will, and kind of clean up when things aren't going well. How are you going to drag yourself out of your head and make just the simple plays to get things back on track? And that's what he'll have to work on. Um, but all in all, especially when you compare it against what else we've seen on this roster this year, I think this is absolutely where you plant your flag if you're Mel Tucker. Not to say you don't look around in the transfer portal to see what you can get because there's talent out there. But I think if if our best option, you know, come training camp next year is still Peyton Thorne on the roster. I think that's where you put your flag. I think that's where you kind of put your future for now and and you build around it because he's got a lot of weapons around him and he's got a lot of thing, a lot of positives to to build upon. Yeah. So I, um, that, that pretty much sums it up really well, I think. And so I want to wrap this up. We we, will touch on this quickly. Um, By the time that you're all listening to this, we will know who we are playing uh, this coming weekend for our last, uh, our ninth or eighth, I guess, our eighth and final game of the season in this crossover Champions Week game. So we have, as we currently stand here, Michigan and Michigan State both uh, tied for the, the bottom of the Big Ten East, both with two wins. Um, now Michigan has played one less game, so they're two and four, we're two and five, technically putting us at the bottom. Um, then you have uh, on the Big Ten West, you have four teams with two wins, Wisconsin, Purdue, Nebraska, Illinois. So I'm guessing we're going to get matched up with one of those four teams if what they said at the beginning of the season is still the plan to kind of match up one with one, two with two, three with three as best as they can. 
Um, so it, you have uh, Wisconsin, Purdue, Nebraska, and Illinois. Wisconsin and Michigan already played. So I guess maybe that bumps up the likelihood that we would get Wisconsin a little bit. Um, I tend to think the Big Ten is going to try to do a lot more like um, name brand type of game. So Penn State and Wisconsin, I, I think they would match up a little bit. Um, as far as the standings, it lines up close enough. And I think that's a game that people would at least watch. Michigan and Nebraska is another one where you have two big name brands that, that people are going to watch it. Um, I, I think if there's one game that I want to play uh, on this list, I, I guess there's two teams that really stick out, and it's Purdue and Illinois. Both are teams with not great defenses that, you know, Peyton Thorne can get another shot at, at building some rhythm and, and momentum going into the offseason. Both are games that I think we're capable of winning. If there's one I would want to avoid, it would probably be Wisconsin. Um, they've been pretty bad as of late. You know, they lost that Northwestern game. They just got blitzed yesterday by Iowa. It's like 28-7. I mean, they got ran out of the building. But that's still a team that I would worry has the capability of beating us by 30 points. I mean, I've seen it from Wisconsin enough to know that I'm not going to plant my flag in, in playing against that type of program. So I don't know. Is, is there anybody, you know, again, we'll, we'll know by the time this is released, but is there anybody of that group of four, that realistic group that you really want to play or really want to avoid? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think Wisconsin's just a strong enough program that any given day they can flip on a switch, especially on the defensive side and really oh, kind of control awesome. the game. Um, and I just, I, I don't know. It, obviously I want to feel good going into the off season. We'd, I want to win. I want to give our team, even if it's against the worst possible opponent, I want to give our team something to feel good about and something to build on. I'm sure Mel Tucker and, and staff kind of feel the same way. I mean, you, you know, coach speak, you always say we want to play the best, you know, we always want to play the best, but like at the end of the day, this season, we're sitting at two and five and we're about to go into the off season with what I, with X taste in our mouth, you really want to play the best. I don't know. I mean, as far as like ranking, I think Wisconsin's the best of those four. I think Nebraska's probably next, uh, although they've been really inconsistent this year um, and really seem to find really creative ways to lose. Um, Purdue and Illinois, I think, are like honestly the worst teams uh, of those four. I don't know where they kind of match up against each other. So as far as just drawing a game, I think that we could win. It'd be one of those two. I personally just have a thing out for Nebraska. So I'd love to see us, you know, <laughs> beat them and just add more fuel to the Scott Frost hot seat. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not as confident we'd win that game. So yeah, I think just play it safe, hopefully get Illinois or Purdue and uh, hopefully, you know, get a nice win to go into the off season. We kind of framed it up this Penn state game, the same way, you know, coming into this one, this is just a game you want to feel good about. You want to build on some positives, play clean games, see where the score comes out. But um, it's going to leave a taste in our mouth. And, and I just, yeah, I mean, Illinois or Purdue would be great. It's not going to be a lot of fanfare. I don't think a whole lot of people outside of our fan base are following our season at this point anyway. So I don't think that's much of a concern. Um, so yeah, just give us something that, that, that matches up well and is exciting. Michigan state, Illinois is almost always some kind of exciting. Um, it, it usually out, you know, outperforms its, <laughs> its billing. Uh, for one reason or another good and bad ways yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so so we'll see I don't know I'm just excited I hope they pull off this Champions Week it sounds I haven't really heard any rumors about it falling through 
Um, bowl games, I wouldn't really, you know, get too excited about from, you know, just the lack of attention that's been paid to them this year. So this will probably be the end of it for this season, for better or for worse. Um, you know, hopefully we'll pull out a win, whoever the opponent is. Yeah, I and again, we'll see who it is on Thursday. Whoever it is, we'll make sure we preview that matchup. Um, I'll probably put out a little Twitter video when it does get released, just kind of my initial thoughts. I've been doing a few more of those recently. So make sure you follow uh, at Standing Room MSU on Twitter if you don't already. Follow Scott at Spartan Martin 18. Um, and uh, of course, subscribe to the podcast if you're not, if this is your first time listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Give me a review on Apple Podcast, all of that fun stuff, and, and share it with your friends and family. Look, the, the football season's coming down to an end here, and we already have a ton of off-season uh, content lined up. It's probably going to be just once a week during the off-season. This is just a football pod. We're not doing basketball stuff. So, you know, hey, if, if it's March Madness, maybe we'll we'll give a couple comments towards the guys. But yeah, there are people who do it better. I know the guys over at Spartan Hoops, they do a good job with the basketball coverage. So um, we'll, we'll make sure we keep it entertaining and fun throughout the entire offseason. So if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe. Um, we're not going to finish this thing up when football season ends. We're going to keep going through the whole year. So really appreciate all the support. Keep sharing. Um, and we will see you guys on Thursday as we preview Whoever it is that we are playing, we're not really sure yet. So have yourselves a great Monday. Have a great week. See you Thursday. Take care.